right, very good. So let's start here this morning. Matt, Mark Batterson in his book, A Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, shares this fascinating story. He says, for more than 30 years, Gordon McKenzie worked at Hallmark, eventually convincing the company to create a special title for him, Creative Paradox. Along with challenging corporate normalcy at Hallmark, McKenzie did a lot of creativity workshops for elementary schools. And those workshops led to a fascinating observation that he shares in his book, Orbiting the Giant Hairball. Children pressured to be normal is the kind of the synopsis of this. McKenzie would ask the kids up front, how many artists are there in the room? And he said the pattern of responses never varied. This is fascinating, watch this. He said, in the first grade, the entire class waved their arms like maniacs. Every child was an artist. In the second grade, about half of the kids raised their hands. In the third grade, he'd get about 10 out of 30 kids. And by the time he got to the sixth grade, only one or two kids would tentatively and self-consciously raise their hands. All the schools he went to seemed to be involved in the suppression of creative genius. They weren't doing it on purpose, but society's goal is to make us less foolish. As Mackenzie says, from the cradle to the grave, the pressure is on, be normal. After all of his research, he came to this conclusion. My guess is that there was a time, perhaps when you were very young, when you had at least a fleeting notion of your own genius and were just waiting for some authority figure to come along and validate it for you, but none ever came. How about that? How about that? I thought that's a pretty fascinating story to think about in this reality. And I, th I think to some degree there is something there about this, this, this sort of this undertone in life to just be normal. Like we need that. Like in, I think this is true in politics. It's like, hey, if you're going to be a politician, just be normal. Don't rock the boat, please. Don't come in here and try to, you know, none of this, you know, we're going to change the world thing. Um, and, and the reality is, just thinking about this reality, when we come to Christ, when we become new creations in Christ, we're called to be, yeah, not normal. It's like, yeah, you know, you're going to stand out. I mean, there's scriptures that talk about that. We're foreign uh, aliens, strangers in a, in a foreign land. It's, it's kind of a, and, and it, we're called to kind of live, live this countercultural life. And so, and when you think about the pressure to be normal, well, who decides what normal is? What is normal? Well, it's, it's a different thing when you come to know Christ. Week five of our series, Paradoxology, and this is the series that takes the paradoxes of the Bible, the contradictions found in the Bible many times, the poor will be rich, like we'll talk about today, or the humble will be exalted, some of those, some of those interesting paradoxes, and then we flesh them out in a life of doxology, a life of personal worship, navigating these tensions in a life of worship. And we're gonna talk today about... Um, uh, three really significant paradoxes that all kind of interweave. And last week we talked about the paradox of a humble life. And what, what I said, what struck me was how humility is woven all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible. And the, the very paradox we looked at, you know, the, the exalted will be humbled and the humble will be exalted is repeated from the wisdom books to Jesus' parables to, 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 to Peter and James and Paul. And they just keep repeating this same paradox for us and so today I had another observation as I was studying this week I had the observation how it's like yeah the Bible is just almost like one big paradox like it is it's just filled with paradoxes everywhere you turn there's another paradox and and I think it's interesting and there's kind of three vantages point points on this but the paradoxes in the Bible seem to be interwoven with each other like I'm preaching a message on this paradox, but it just weaves in with this paradox over here. We'll see that kind of today. And so you got that going on, and then you got this idea where maybe you've heard the phrase before, like, like God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Speaking of kingdom like loosely, but when, when you think of when, it, when Jesus spoke about that Jewish millennial kingdom, it was like an upside-down kingdom, and the first or last, and the, you know, and, the, and the leaders serve, and all these kinds of things are embedded in this kingdom and maybe you've heard that, it's that counter-cultural reality. And, but the thing is, we can transpose this then actually from some future kingdom for the Jewish people. We can transpose this into our everyday life. Uh, here's what uh, Charles Spurgeon said. Here's a quote, and you, may depend upon, and you may depend upon this fact, that paradoxes are not strange things in the scripture, but rather the rule, but rather the rule than the exception. 
So, yeah, there, it, the Bible is filled with paradoxes. It's one big paradox. And as I was saying, we can take these, what seem like maybe paradoxes to some future kingdom and apply them to our everyday life right here because the reality is the Christ life we always talk about here is the paradoxical life. Like all of these paradoxes, they all just kind of coalesce into one person's life, Jesus. The life of Christ. And what's our mission statement here is, right, to help people find the Christ life. To know the fact that when you are saved, when you're a new creation, Christ is raised in you. Christ comes to life in you. It's a reality they never experienced before Paul came along and explained the gospel to us. The Christ life is the paradoxical life. And we're going to see that today. Today, our, uh, big, uh, our, our big paradox today in summary is the paradoxical life. Here's another quote by Charles Spurgeon though. He says, paradoxes in spiritual things are as plentiful as blackberries. In fact, if you cannot believe a paradox, you cannot believe in Christ himself, for he is God and man in one person, and that is a paradoxical mystery. So you see, yeah, right? Christ is, Jesus is the God-man, and that's a paradoxical mystery in and of itself. And Christ is the paradoxical life the Christ life is and we're going to talk about that then today we're going to talk about this paradoxical life probably our our, our theme verse here for the church men, mentioned it many times I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and so I live but I don't live but Christ lives in me and Christ lives through me and Christ is my life and that's the paradoxical life that I am invited to live. I am invited to live. So this is the passage that Rick read for us earlier. We're going to just jump in here and look at this passage briefly a minute and just kind of use this loosely as a foundation this morning as we look at three different paradoxes and just note as we read through this again the paradoxical undertones that are contained in these verses. He starts out, Paul says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. So you know where I'm at. And uh, he says in verse 2, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is, behold, now is the day of salvation. And I've said many times here, you really, this is just, what's he saying? Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to live out the gospel. Now's the day to live out, to work out your salvation. Today's the day to do that. Don't wait till tomorrow, do it today. Yeah, today's the day to get saved and, and yeah, and, and to be reconciled to God and, 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 and uh, secure your eternity in heaven. Yeah, today's the day to do that. But if you've done that, today's the day to live that out. Today's the day to live out the paradoxical life. And we're gonna see that. He goes on here then. Look at all the, the paradoxical undertones. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. You get the, the paradoxical sense there. It's like all the calamity, all the hardship, all the turmoil, all the trouble he's going through, and yet, but we're just celebrating every day because God is so good. Isn't that just uh, a great attitude to have? And we need that attitude in the world today. Here's our big idea today. It's a simple one. The paradoxical life is mine to live. If you know Christ is your Savior, if, you've, if you're a new creation in Christ, if you have received and, and believe, if you believed and received, you believe that Christ is the Son of God, that He died for your sins, if you've received His forgiveness and His life, the paradoxical life is mine to live. My life can be a paradox, just like the life of Jesus was a paradox and he was the god man and in, in in a crazy sort of way it's not exactly the same but i i'm i'm in my human life but yet christ is my life and he is me 
And that's a, an amazing thing to stop and think about that dynamic. Today then, uh, the paradoxical life from three directional realities. We're going to look at the paradoxical life from three different directions and we're going to see three everyday paradoxes in the mix. So this will make sense as we go forward. And, uh, and the truth is, this could be, each one of these could have been their own message and it was tempting to do that. But sometimes there is value in seeing the broad picture and in seeing how all three of these points interconnect rather than just seeing each of them stand alone. So that's why, and plus there are so many paradoxes in this series Rather than a 20-week series, we're going to take all three of them today. So how about that? So first, uh, first directional reality, first direction here we want to see of this paradoxical life is the reality of my paradoxical life in Christ. Just that simple little preposition there, in Christ. Like, that's the reality of this life I have now that I have been made a new creation in Christ. I have this life that is in Christ. Now, this takes us back to something uh, I shared earlier in the series, right? But just a, just a note here. Listen to what he says in Mark eight thirty four, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we interpreted that a couple weeks ago in light of the gospel as Paul gives it to us. What does that mean for us today? But, but know what we said in that message, right? The word disciple You find it in the Gospels 275 times. You find it in Acts 28 times. You find it after Acts, that that Greek word used for disciple, zero times. Yeah. How about the word follow, to follow me? That exact Greek word is found in Acts 90 times, before Acts 90 times, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's found in Acts about four times. Paul Paul uses it one time in kind of a different kind of context. But then look at this. In Christ... You never find that in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John never talk about being in Christ. You find that once in the book of Acts. You find it 73 times in Paul's letters and twice in 1 Peter. So, yeah, this idea of being in Christ, it is a reality that is ours on this side of the cross to be certain. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty, pretty significant there when you stop and think about that reality of being in Christ and this paradoxical life, the, the first direction is that I am in Christ and we need to stop and think about what does it mean that I am in Christ. It's as I have said before, right? Today we don't follow Jesus externally. He leads us internally. He leads us right from in here and so I'm not following Jesus in an external sense. He's leading me in an internal sense. Now, this takes us back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And look at verse 10 here. Here's our first paradox today. Note what he says. He says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich. Wouldn't that be great if you could be like really poor and you could enrich the lives of others around you? Well, that's what Paul did. He says, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And that's our first paradox. It's found back in the wisdom book, back in Proverbs 13. One pretends to be rich and has nothing. Another pretends to be poor and has, yet has great wealth. And the simple idea being formed here is that there is the person who is rich in this world who thinks they've got everything in this world and let me tell you, they're destitute and they're really poor by the standards of what really matters. And then there's the person over here that maybe doesn't have much in this world and doesn't seem to have much in this world, but he is super wealthy because he has the riches of being in Christ. And, and again, this is not an indictment on wealth. It's not an issue of necessarily that it's wrong to be wealthy. Um, but, yeah, I'll touch on that again in a minute. Here's the paradox then. The poor will be rich, and vice versa. That's all throughout the Bible too. It's like this, uh, just the idea that you may be poor in this world, but you'll be rich in Christ. If you know Christ, you have everything. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says as having nothing yet possessing everything. And it it goes back again. Let's pick up Mark 8 again. We just read the two verses prior. Here's what he says. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in, in return for his soul? And we talked a couple weeks ago, right? That if you, were to, if you were to just ask the average person, what's the most valuable thing you possess? What would we say? Most valuable thing I possess is my life, right? And so, yeah, 
That's why we don't like to get sick. We don't like when we feel weak or vulnerable. It's like most valuable. And so where are you investing the most valuable possession you have? Are you investing it in Christ, right? You can be in Christ or are you investing it in this world and that's really what it speaks to when we become a new creation and we are placed into Christ. Let's move this a minute from the theological to the practical though, okay? From the theological to the practical and um, looking for a note, yeah. So Ephesians chapter one and, and just in these handful of verses, if, if you were to go and read through 1 through 14, you would find nine times Paul uses this phrase in Christ. We're just going to read a handful of them here. We're going to read verses 3 through 6. Listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons, accord, uh, sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So even there, there's a handful of times in Christ, and we see the reality of being in Christ and the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. Do you see how this wealth paradox then interconnects with the verses here in Ephesians 1? That yeah, if I'm in Christ, I am super wealthy. If I'm in this world, I am super destitute. And I don't often, people in the world don't often realize that they don't know what they're missing out on. They don't understand the spiritual blessings in heavenly places found only in Christ. Now let me add again, as I said, this doesn't mean that it's wrong to be wealthy in this world. It's your attitude is what it's really about. Let me tell it, and this is a very old and tired joke, but honestly, this was the best way I could think to kind of convey this, this reality this morning. So Wayne is, go, is growing old and he's near death. And Wayne goes to his brother Rick and says, Rick, when I pass away, I want you to pack my gold bars down in my office into my coffin. And Rick gives Wayne a curious eye but says, oh, okay. And so Wayne passes away in a few days and Rick gets all the gold bars and stuffs them into Wayne's coffin and a few days later, Wayne's up in heaven. And he's got a big basket, or a big, big bag he's carrying with all those gold bars and he goes by St. Paul and St. Paul looks at him with a curious eye. So what do you, why'd you bring all that pavement to heaven? You know, that, you've heard that joke, right? Like the streets are made of gold. And, and, and so it's a, it's a dumb old tire, but that, that's the point. It's like, it's not that it's wrong to be wealthy. It's understanding that whatever wealth I have in this world, it's nothing compared to my wealth in Christ. That if I am wealthy in Christ, I'm really poor in this world. You see, there, there's no comparison. Like, I can be super wealthy by the world standards, but if I have wealth in Christ, like, I'm a poor man here. Like, I'm wealthy in eternity let me give you a few practical applications of this again to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved let me give you just a four a few practical applications of what this the spiritual blessings look like right there is a paradoxical perspective that is found in christ like those who are in christ have a different perspective of this world a different perspective of their problems like we just read paul describe his life it's like no one would want that life right but he had so much joy so much satisfaction and so much fulfillment and suffering for Christ. It's an amazing thing. Um, I was studying this week, you know, it's funny, so I'm doing this series, Paradoxology, and I saw this phrase a while back, Paradoxology. I thought, well, I'd make a great sermon series. And, and paradoxology is a word, it is the study of paradoxes, right? Biology is the study of, you know, humans, and, and theology, the study of the Bible. Paradoxes, study of paradoxology, study of, of paradoxes. But I saw it differently. I saw paradox and doxology, like in my creative genius. Like, wow, that's a, that's a cool sermon series. And then I found out, yeah, it's not so unique because someone else had that idea too. And here's a quote from, uh, I don't even know who this guy is, Pastor Charlie Boyd. He, here's what he says. I like the way he says it better than the way I said it. Paradox presents us with a problem. Doxology calls us to praise. Paradoxology calls us to wrestle with the problem of seemingly opposing truths about God in a way that inspires us to praise God. Hence, 
paradoxology. That's pretty good, right? So I'm going to borrow that maybe from Pastor Charlie Boyd there throughout this series maybe. That's just a great way to understand what we're talking about in this series. And the reality is if you look at Paul's life, that's what I, that was his perspective. Over here, look at this passage over here a minute. So Paul struck down on the road to Damascus. He, he radically takes a 180 from persecuting Christians to now he's going to preach to them and he's going to preach the gospel to the world. And listen to what he says. Look, look at his new perspective. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And he is living out the words of Jesus. He lost his life to find it. And he's in Christ and he is super wealthy in Christ and everything else before all the, all the gold bars of this world are like rubbish. His personal resume that built him up and glorified him, it's all garbage. It's all cow dung. Whichever translation of the Bible you use, you'll find a different uh, rendering of that word. But this is what's going on in Paul's life. But it's more than that. There's a paradoxical purpose found in Christ. Like we have a different reason to live when we come to Christ. Like I don't just have to live for myself anymore. In fact, I found this. I, I, I just kind of got this thought here. Uh, here's what Paul says. Uh, Philippians 2.10, yeah. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And I looked at Paul, and I thought Paul had kind of a, if you look through all his writings, kind of a Trinitarian purpose in his life. We could break it down this way. His Trinitarian purpose was to reflect the glory of the Father, to be that brand ambassador we've talked about for the Son, and to walk in the power of the Spirit. You want a purpose for your life? There it is, Trinitarian purpose. Reflect the glory of the Father, be a brand ambassador for the Son, and walk every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what you find in this paradoxical life. And, but then it's even better because there's this paradoxical peace found in Christ. Let me stop here a moment on this one. I want you to think about something. Because I had an interesting question about this idea of, of, of peace. Go back to the Garden of Eden, right? Here's Adam and Eve and the tree of life over here and the tree of, 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 of you know, right and wrong over here. We're in the Garden, we're Adam and Eve at peace with God. How many would say they were at peace with God? Right? And, and, and that would be, I think we're correct in saying that, except here, here's the thing. Remember we talk about the essence of who God is. God is goodness and glory or he's love and he's life that's like the essence of god because these are the two things that you need nothing else to kind of juxtapose like to say god is righteous well then i need to know what is evil so it's like there's two things that stand out about god he is goodness or he is love and he just is and you don't need anything to to, to counter that or to show that he just is and he is uh Glory, he's light, he's just bright light. And everything else about him that we might say, he's humble, well, we, we'd have to know what it means to be proud. So I thought about that in, in regards to Adam and Eve being at peace with God. Were they at peace with God? Well, I don't even know if in the Garden of Eden peace was a thing. You'd, to know peace, you'd have to know what? Turmoil. So yeah, they're at peace with God, but I mean, it's like, I don't think peace is a thing at that point. And, and so, th why is that important? Because watch this then. Where does the need for peace come from? The fall. So when Adam and Eve go over to that, unforbid go to that forbidden tree, the tree of right and wrong, and eat that fruit, you know, then there's turmoil, then there's conflict, then there's trouble. Everything Paul talks about there in 2 Corinthians 6. It's all a reality. Now we need peace. I think that's pretty fascinating to think about. Now, see if I can uh, follow my thinking here. Um, so here's the application then to your life and my life. Anytime in your life that you are not at peace, first and foremost, it's an outworking of the fall. I've often said this, right? That if you are saved and you're in Christ, 
right? And you're over here at the tree of life, you're in Christ, this is where you're positionally at. But if you choose, though you're in Christ, you choose to live over here in the world, in the flesh, at the tree of rules and right and wrong or whatever, what happens? You invite conflict into your life. Conflict into your relationships, turmoil, trouble, problems, okay? That's a reality. Now, how about this though? Let's say you're over here and you're in Christ and there is trouble like Paul, turmoil, adversity, calamity that comes into your life and it's not your fault. You're not over here, you're not doing, you're just over here in Christ and yet the world, the fall comes at you because we live in a fallen world and so people around you, you know, the coworker, you know, uh, gets upset with you or the boss treats you unfairly or you have a fight with your spouse and you didn't do anything. You know, it's just like you're just attacked over here. Here's the reality. This is the paradoxical life of peace, right? If when I'm attacked, I go over here and I attack back, yeah, I'm not gonna have peace. If I'm over here in Christ and I face the effects of the fall in my life and I stay in Christ, I'll be just like Paul in 2 Corinthians 6. Like all that stuff's happening to him and yet we know patience and we know the Holy Spirit and we know kindness and we know gentleness and we know peace. I mean, that's just what his life was all like. Do you follow that thinking? And so that is what is so key to us. There is this paradoxical peace that has afforded us in Christ. It's one of those spiritual riches I have in Christ when I just live in Christ. When I just live in Christ. That's why Paul says it this way in Philippians 4. Here's what he says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Just live in Christ. Think like Christ, and you will be at peace. The paradoxical life is mine to live. That's simple. It's yours to live. If you're in Christ, it's yours to live. Live it out. Enjoy it every single day. Back to 2 Corinthians 4. Here's what he says. As servants of God, again, verse 4, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and... The power of God. Here's our second directional reality. We are in Christ. Then there is the reality of my paradoxical life from Christ. I have this life. I'm living in Christ. And then I have this life that I can live from Christ. And Paul talks there in the midst of all he's going through. Yes, he had peace, but he also had the power of God. He had the power of God. Amazing. And Jump over to 2 Corinthians 12. Three verses here, 7, 8, 9, 10, four verses. So here's how Paul describes this, and this is our second paradox this morning. We have the wealth paradox where the poor will be rich. Here is the next paradox. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am What a great paradox. This might be one of the greatest paradoxes in all the Bible. One of the hardest for us to, to, to process. When I am weak, then I am strong. It's like, it's good to be weak. It's like, no, it's not. When I wasn't feeling well this week, it wasn't good to not feel well, and it was not good to feel weak. Right? So I think that's pretty powerful. And we go back to that earlier passage in 2 Corinthians 6 and Paul in all of the calamity and hardship and turmoil and everything because he was in Christ but also because he found the life from Christ. He was strong when he was weak. There's something about, understand this, this power here afforded to us in this passage is only afforded when I embrace my weakness. That's the key. I have to embrace my weakness. 
And when I embrace my weakness, then I'm really strong, stronger than I even imagined. Now, let's look at this, though, again, in a more helpful context this morning. What does that mean to be strong when I am weak? I'll give you four applications here that we can maybe relate to. Uh, Number one is when I am threatened, I am unfazed. When I am threatened, I am unfazed. And that was Paul's testimony, right? Paul was threatened all the time on this side and that side, and he was unfazed. In fact, his, his, if, if I remember this correctly, speaking from my memory here, but I don't think like in Rome that the Roman government had as much of an issue with Paul's Christianity as they did with uh, his Christianity created a ruckus. And so what he would do is he would preach the gospel and the Jews would come along and they would like, the Jewish leaders, they didn't like that and so they would stir up a ruckus over it and then they didn't like all the ruckus that was being created and then Paul got blamed. It's kind of how, I think that's kind of how the way that worked if I remember that correctly. Um, but, but it didn't matter. Paul was simply unfazed by whatever he faced. And, and it's not that it's wrong. Like, when you think about Jesus going to the cross, which shocked Pilate when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't defend himself. He, he, he just, yeah, whatever. You can say whatever you want about me. And he didn't defend himself, and he was unfazed by the attacks and the threats, and that allowed them, of course, to nail him to the cross. He didn't even defend himself. And it's not that it's wrong to necessarily defend yourself. Paul defended himself in a paradoxical sense, what's so fascinating is Paul, when he was attacked and threatened, he would defend himself like he'd be, he'd be arrested for preaching the gospel. And he would come in then and he would defend himself by preaching the gospel. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, he just did. And uh, yeah, I'm not guilty because, you know, and he preached the gospel. And, uh, and, and so it was, it was an amazing thing. If you're ever attacked for your faith or what you believe about the scriptures, the good news of Jesus' love is always your best defense. It is. Um, Let me take a swig here and then uh, share a story. How many heard about the uh, story recently? Philadelphia Flyers defensive man Ivan Provorov I say his name, refused to wear a rainbow jersey during warm-ups for the team's pride night for LGBTQ inclusion on Tuesday, citing his religious beliefs. This is in the publication The Hill. He said, I respect everybody, and I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. He said, while taking questions in the Flyers' locker room after the team's 5-2 victory over the Anaheim Ducks. That's all I'm going to say. So maybe you heard about the uproar of that because he wouldn't wear, they, they had a gay pride night, this hockey team did, and he wouldn't wear the jersey before the, and uh, boy, he got lambasted. Of course, we talked about uh, this scenario a couple weeks back. But he got lambasted all over social media and he was just a hateful guy and all terrible. And uh, yeah, and you can just be unfazed. You're gonna be attacked for your faith. You're gonna be attacked for standing up for what God's word says is true and we just can be unfazed. And can I just give you a bit of a, um, a bit of consolation here that, that sometimes we feel like, you know, we're the odd ones out, right? Like this hockey player's the odd guy out. D- did you know what happened to him the next day after that all went down? His jersey sold out. So he had a lot of support. And oftentimes we're made to feel like we're the ones that, you know, we're, we're, we're over here, we're the minority, and that's not always the case. Uh, again, just again, note the paradoxical life is mine to live. I can be unfazed when I'm attacked. Um, but when I'm exhausted, I am well rested. When I'm exhausted, I am well rested, and we need to learn that. I needed to learn that because I was really frustrated. Um, really, really just just hit me out of the blue and I was just down for uh, uh, Wednesday night, Thursday night till, you know, Friday I started getting up again and I was just really feeling like exhausted and I'm like, Lord, how can this be true that when I'm exhausted I can be well rested? And I think there is something there because, so Harold promised, he, he offered to speak for me this morning and I'm like, I hate to do that. I hate to drop it on somebody at the last second and, 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 um, and yet, yet I realized that, you know, yeah, part of I'm weak when I'm strong is because there are people around me that will say, hey, yeah, if you're too weak, I can do it. I can fill in. And I need to learn that lesson a little more, I think. So I, I learned that on the way coming in here this morning. I thought, you know, I should have uh, just said, yeah, here, take over, Harold. Um, here's another one. When I am vulnerable, 
I am secure. Like we, none of us like to be, do you, anybody like to be vulnerable here? How, how about, um, how about when you gravitate towards your weaknesses? Think, think about this. What's the one job interview questions everybody hates? They sit you down, they say, so tell me, what is your biggest weakness? Right, we hate that question. It's like, yeah. One interviewer was asked what his three biggest weaknesses were and he had only one answer ready, so he gave them two and tried to come up with a third. There was a big awkward pause and then he finally said, indecisive, and laughed at his own joke. (laughs) He didn't get the job. Another interviewer was asked about his biggest weakness and reaching into his front pocket, he pulled out a note card and read, I over-prepare. So, yeah. The truth is they claim that usually employers aren't looking for your biggest weakness, they're looking for how much self-awareness you have. I think Paul had a lot of self-awareness and I think that's really powerful that Paul could look at his life and see what his weakness was. You know it's interesting, this word weakness in the Greek, it's the word astheneo, and it means to be feeble in any sense, to be diseased, impotent, uh, sick, weak. Um, uh, excuse me, um, I didn't put this verse on the screen. Here, John 5, here's, here's a place where this word is used. This is what Paul's saying when he's saying he's weak. John chapter 5, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Remember that story in John 5? And Jesus heals this man, this invalid man. And so Paul's saying, yeah, in a sense, I'm an invalid. I'm an invalid. And uh, so note the implications behind that word. I think that's a really pretty powerful word. And no one likes to see ourselves as an invalid. No one likes to see ourselves in that way. But I, I read a story this week about um, a couple taking their disabled daughter and they were going to put her into a home for the first time. It was a better setup for her. And so they're putting her in this home. And uh, uh, they just asked the home is it possible you could bring her to our church every so often? And they're like, well, sure, if they'll let us come back. And, and she's like, what do, what do you mean? She asked for clarification. She said, well, usually we go to churches and they, we bring adults with disabilities, you know, they drool, they have their wheelchairs, they make noises. They usually ask us not to come back. And, uh, and I thought about that dynamic and I thought, here's Paul saying, you know, I'm an invalid. I kind of drool and I kind of, you know. And, and, and what Paul is saying there, I get Paul is a whole new creation in Christ. I get all that. What Paul is saying is that when I live over here in the flesh, I'm weak. I drool. I'm an invalid. I'm disabled. But when I'm over here in Christ, like, man, I can, I can withstand anything there in 2 Corinthians 6 that they, that they throw at me, and I have peace, and I have power, and I have the Holy Spirit, and I'm gentle, and I'm kind, and I'm patient, and uh, yeah, yeah. And then finally, one last picture of this. When I am inadequate, I am most confident. When I am inadequate, I am most confident. Herschel York recounts a story in uh, the book Tramp for the Lord by Corey Ten Boom. What a powerful story here. Corey tells the story of an old woman she met in Russia in the time of the communist persecution of Christians during the Cold War. The old woman was lying on a small sofa propped up by pillows. Her body was bent and twisted almost beyond recognition by the dread disease of multiple sclerosis. Her aged husband spent all of his time caring for her since she was unable to move off the sofa. The only part of her body she could control was her right hand. And with the index finger of, what, of that hand, she had for many years glorified God by typing on a vintage typewriter beside her. All day and far into the night she would type. She translated Christian books into Russian, always using just that one finger, peck, peck, peck. She typed out the pages, portions of the Bible, the books of Billy Graham and Corey Ten Boom. Not only does she translate books, her husband said, as, as he hovered close by during, the, during our conversation, but she prays for these people every day while she types. Sometimes it takes a long time for her finger to hit the key or for her to get the paper in the machine, but all the time she's praying for those whose books she's working on. Corey Ten Boom writes, I looked at her wasted form on the sofa, her head pulled down and her feet curled under her body. Oh Lord, why don't you heal her? I cried inwardly. 
Her husband, sensing my anguish of soul, gave the answer. God has a purpose in her sickness. Every other Christian in the city is watched by the secret police, but because she has been sick so long, no one ever looks in on her. They leave us alone, and she is the only person in all the city who can type quietly, undetected, by the police. One day, Corey received a letter from that lady's husband that described the day she had gone home to be with the Lord. The husband exclaimed that the woman had worked until midnight that very night of her death, typing with one finger to the glory of God. Ever feel inadequate? Be most confident. Because that's when you can be most used by God. Most used by God. The paradoxical life, it is mine to live. It's just mine to live. I'm in Christ. I have Christ. I'm not just in Christ. Christ is in me, so I have this life from Christ. I can just live it. It's just mine. It's just a choice. And so I'm gonna do something we're not supposed to do. I'm gonna wrap up with my third point today. I'm gonna close with my third point. So there's no close after this necessarily, but here's what we learned today, right? The reality of my paradoxical life that's found in Christ Uh, And that's the wealth uh, paradox, the poor will be rich. There's the reality of my paradoxical life from Christ, uh, that powerful paradox that when I am weak, then I am strong. We all need to know that right. And then here's our third and final directional reality. It's the reality of my paradoxical life for Christ. My life for Christ. I can live my life for Christ. I'll give a, a paradox to you here in a moment. This will just be a brief final close. But I, I want to take you to a meme I saw on Facebook. I see memes all the time on Facebook. And something's happened to me over the years, I guess, longer I've been preaching. I see these things, and I see them through the eyes of grace. And I'm like, that's not a good meme. And everybody's, everybody's liking them and thinking it's such a cool self-effacement statement. Look at this. Do you see what's wrong with this? The church is not for people who think they are righteous. It's for a people who know they are not. And people love that. People think that is just so, oh, yes, that's, an, you know, and, uh, and I respect John MacArthur, but he says a lot of stuff like this that it's just not good theology. What's wrong with that? Yeah, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you know, you know, in the Old Testament, like they would go into the Holy of Holies and offer those sacrifices, right? You know now, you are the holy of holies. Like your heart has been consecrated to the Lord. Christ lives in you. Christ couldn't live in you if you were not holy, if you were not sanctified, if you were not set apart. It's like we say, we're not called disciples today. We're called saints today. Saints are the holy ones, the hagios, the set apart, the sanctified. And so the church is not for people who think they are right. You know, the church is the righteous. Not the self-righteous, the righteous in Christ. And we know we are righteous. That's the point. We need to know. And if I ever tell you you're not righteous, come up and slap me. Probably 15 years ago when I was preaching, I would have posted that and said, oh, amen. That's so humble and so self-effacing and it's so dishonoring to the work Christ has done in my life. I'll give you one passage here. Look at this passage. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous, and this passage is gonna going to juxtapose two people. So, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That covers the whole base. Maybe you're not into the homosexuality. Maybe you're greedy. Okay, right? Uh, That just describes behaviors there, though. No. But he goes on. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And this is juxtaposing two people for us. Those two people are what? The unrighteous and the righteous. See, such were some of you. Actually, all, all of us were at one point, right? You know, we were described by some of those things before we were saved. But we were washed, we were sanctified, we, we were justified. And so, Who's not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Who's not going to go to heaven one day? Not the adulterer, not the thief, the unrighteous. It's not about the sin, it's just about being a sinner. It's just about being unrighteous. It's not about your particular, you know, whatever your sin is of the day. So that's the reality. Um, I think how I put this out 
to, sh- to share this. This is the identity paradox. When I, as a saint, live as a sinner. And, and so, so the point is, stop telling yourself, you know, you know the, the other one, I've used this before, right? We love to say this one, it's so humble and so self-effacing. Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. If you know Christ, you were a sinner and you were saved by grace. Now, you are a saint and you sometimes sin. Yeah, now you're a saint, you're righteous, you're sanctified, set apart, and sometimes you sin. And here's the point. Stop telling yourself, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, I know I shouldn't have treated my wife that way, but I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you know. Yeah, I shouldn't have looked at that uh, and the computer, but I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Oh, I shouldn't have laughed at that joke at work, but I'm just a sinner. No, stop. I'm the righteous. No excuse. No excuse. Live like you're righteous. Live over here in Christ. And when you do stumble, when you do fall, yeah, there's plenty of grace. There's more than enough grace for whatever you've gone through, whatever your struggle in life has been, there's more than enough grace. So I don't mean to leave you going home beating yourself up. I'm just saying, stop the excuses. Know you are in Christ. And when you stumble, know you are in Christ. That's the point. If I'm over here and I do stumble and I do, you know, I do something I shouldn't do and I'm unhappy with what I did, then I look up and I say, but I'm a saint. I'm righteous. Christ has made me whole and pure and clean and nothing can defile that. Nothing can defile that at all. So when I, as a saint, live in the center, that's the paradox and let's just live as saints because that's who we are. Right? And let's live the paradoxical lives to reflect the glory of the Father, to be a brand ambassador for the Son, and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's acknowledge the paradoxical life we can live in Christ, from Christ, and for Christ. You can live your life this week for Christ. You can live your life in this world for Christ. You can pour out your life for others in service to Him. You can offer uh, a drink of, of living water to a world around you that is desperately, desperately thirsty. Let's close in prayer and then we're going to sing a closing song. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you have placed me in you, that I'm so secure, that I'm, I'm, like, I'm like in Noah's Ark and you slammed the door shut and nothing can take me out of you. I, I am eternally secure in Christ. How beautiful that is. And not just am I in you, but you are in me. You're empowering me to live this challenging life and life's going to throw stuff at me and the, and the fallen world's going to throw stuff at me and, and broken people are going to hurt me and yet I can stay in Christ and I can find this paradoxical peace in you and, and then in the beautiful reality, the paradoxical reality is I can in, in all of that live my life and for you in a fallen world. Help me do that this week, Lord. I pray we'll take this home and, and uh, just, just show us throughout the week what these words mean to our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.